Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Drive Into the Basket. I'm Mike. I'm here with Tommy and Dante. So we are going to launch uh, straight into the content here, uh, starting with a segment that we're going to try to do actually uh, every week, just a weekly recap, or excuse me, a quick recap of the, of the week's games. Uh, recording this episode the day after the Pistons' victory against the Boston Celtics and uh, the day before they go up against the arch nemesis, uh, not so much, but uh, somebody we all dislike quite a bit, uh, Stan Van Gundy and the, and the New Orleans Pelicans. So, yeah, we'll talk about the games of the week. Uh, we'll move on to talk about the Derrick Rose trade, a bit about Dennis Smith Jr. We'll talk uh, about Sadiq Bay and his big game against the Celtics, uh, Isaiah Stewart's continued improvements. A little bit about Wayne Ellington and how bad he's been since defenses started paying attention to him. And then we will conclude uh, the Pistons content with a discussion of Mason Plumlee. And then finally, Tommy, our resident draft expert, will talk a bit about uh, and we're going to be just doing kind of uh, some some draft previews. Uh, we're going to get started with that actually today uh, as Tommy will be talking about Jalen Suggs for a little bit. So just launching straight into... Uh, the weekly recap you start off with the Lakers game uh, double OT loss the Pistons really actually fought very well in this game it was it was an impressive performance in its own right uh, you know as far as the actual performances of, of the players went uh, not really so many good ones uh, well basically I'll, I'll revise that actually you had four players who played really well and, and the rest of the team Played pretty well, actually, uh, and, and the rest of the team is not so good. Jeremy Grant, of course, was the mainstay. Uh, was just forced to really attempt a lot of very, very difficult offense. Uh, finished with 32 points on, on not-so-great efficiency. Did a decent job defensively. Uh, Plumlee actually had a, a pretty underrated game all, all around. Uh, DeLon Wright played well. Josh Jackson, uh, probably the best player on the team overall. Uh, he, he just had a great game. Uh Saw extended run from Svee for the first time in, in the season. Uh, for, I don't really understand why that, that happened in this particular game, but uh, not really much to say beyond that the Pistons grinded it out against a, a much superior team that this time did have Anthony Davis. And uh, ultimately it ended when LeBron just decided in double overtime that he wanted to go to sleep and uh, <laughs> and just you know did his typical, uh, I'm going to make really difficult shots because I feel like it. And there's nothing you can do about it. And the game ended. So uh, the only complaint I'd have about the game is that is that it's just, just basically, as is characterized the Pistons' other double OT games, or excuse me, or it's the OT games. I think the Pistons have only played double OT games, actually. The veterans just got an enormous amount of run. Uh, Isaiah Stewart only played 10 minutes. Uh, he did have five fouls, though. Uh, that probably had something to do with it. But <laughs> So I'll amend that a little bit. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on that game? I think it was this pretty cut and dry affair. Um, yeah, it was nice to see Jeremy Grant going, I want to say toe to toe with LeBron. Like he was really, really good. He was one of the best players on the floor. So that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and you know what? There's not much more you can ask for aside from, yeah, the rotations being a little weird. But in a rebuilding year, to take the Lakers to double overtime and you, you almost squeaked it out, but you didn't, not terrible. So I had fun watching that game. Yeah, I think the only thing that I, was kind of thinking about at the end of that game is that people really wanted Isaiah Stewart in at the end there for defense. Uh, with five fouls, Lakers in the bonus, I'm kind of happy that they kept him out. I think he would have fouled out pretty quickly in that game. Uh, he just plays a bit of a foul-prone game, and 
I think Casey made the right call there. It, it didn't end up working in the end, but I, I understand why he went with that. Yeah, I'll I'll just absolutely admit here that I that completely blown over me that that uh, he had that many fouls at the time. I was thinking, why why is Mason Plumlee playing forty eight? We you know forty seven and a half minutes in this game when Stewart's been so good. But yeah, when you manage to rack up five fouls in ten minutes, then there's really not a great deal that can be done. Uh, it's also a situation in which uh, you know it would have been sure you have Julia Okafor who's who's out with injury for I think a couple months. Uh, it it would have been nice. You know, it would have been helpful, helpful situation in which to have a, a backup center who actually can play NBA basketball. I mean, regardless, even if Okafor was around, I mean, the guy has nothing to offer. Uh, you know, I'm not complaining. It was one of these things where, you know, it, the game was what it was. But, uh, yeah, Tsek, uh, who got, uh, got the starts, did not play well. And uh, I don't care, frankly. Uh, I think it's worth remembering about Tsek. When, when he was drafted in 2019, uh, the story on draft night was really – uh, this guy, you know, it's, it's not about what he can offer right now. It's about what he can offer in like three years. And uh, it was unclear at that point if he'd even be, you know, I, I think that the, the, his trajectory was judged to be G League for at least a season, if not two. Because the guy's super raw. The idea was to capitalize on the ceiling. So things have gone differently than expected. All right, moving on to the Nets game. Uh, Pistons won this one. Uh, pretty convincingly, and that's where without Kevin Durant. Uh, this was one of these sadder games I've watched uh, because it was not so much sad, but just unbelievably ugly. I mean, the Pistons, you know, for their part, didn't play badly. The Nets were just comically bad. Uh, I mean, even without Durant, you can see even without Durant, they've still got, you know, two Hall of Fame talents on their team. I think I think Kyrie, when all is said and done, will be a Hall of Fame talent in Harden, of course. But without Durant, the team is, seems to be an amorphous blob that just cannot play any defense at all. Uh, the the Harden trade really to new to the team of uh, uh, of, of defenders, uh, you know, of reasonable defenders. I mean, Jared Allen's a good defender. Karis Levert's a good defender. Uh, uh, James Harden <clears throat> made it clear very early on that he just didn't really care about defense in that game. Uh, DeAndre Jordan used to be an all-world defender. Either doesn't care now or can't jump anymore. I don't know. But just like it, the Nets went from having an ex, you know, a really good offense and a, and a respectable defense prior to the trade to having, uh, you know, potential all-time great offense and a potential all-time worst defense. And, and it really showed. And Durant is actually a pretty good defender. I mean, they didn't just miss him on offense. Durant is actually a good defender. So... It was kind of a game in which I felt like the Nets beat themselves. Uh, I don't think the Pistons really, 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 uh, you know, played to uh, well enough to beat the Nets if they had been, you know, even playing at at, at a decent level. But the Nets were not. Uh, yeah, Grant was great. Uh, Delon Wright, who's who's had some, definitely had a share of good games lately. Uh, you know, cough trade market cough, please. <laughs> uh, did okay actually you know to fit you know efficient speaking in terms of efficiency he wasn't really actually that good at all he took a ton of free throws you know, it takes you 16 shots and 12 free throws to make 22 points it's not great but he's a good facilitator um this was kind of sadiq bay's comeback game so a lot of it was some of it was in garbage time but you know 15 points and didn't miss a shot good for him um yeah any any thoughts on this one i mean 
Grant was the star again, right? I know the the Nets defense is, yeah, comically bad is probably a good way to put it. But at the end of the day, you, you still got to put the ball in the basket. And, and Grant went ahead and did that. So continuing his strong season and, you know, based on the, the next couple games, that was the last game of his that was um, excellent or even really good. He's been struggling a little bit lately. So this was... This is a nice game to go back and rewatch the highlights because we haven't seen Grant like that in like a week now. Um, and yeah, DeLon, hopefully, or four days, whatever the case may be, DeLon was good too. <laughs> He's being played in a very um, short amount of time this season. Yeah, yeah. But uh, hopefully that trade market is um, heating up for DeLon too because I don't, I, I've made my feelings known about DeLon, right? I don't think he's, I don't think he's a particularly good player. Um, I think he accrues a lot of stats by just, by virtue of just being there and uh, being like the primary ball handler on offense. And Casey's choosing to pretty much run the offense through like him and Plumley and Griffin. So I'm not really impressed by any of DeLon's stat lines. Um, they only look good like once in every three games, honestly. So if a team wants to trade for him, yeah, by all means, take them. That's, that's kind of how I feel. Um, and the next game kind of highlighted that for me. So that's about what I would have to say. I don't have anything to add. I think you hit the nail on the head there. All right. Yeah, I always moving do. On. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, moving yeah. on to the Pacers. Uh, this was a pretty convincing loss for the Pistons. Uh, I mean, the Pacers were, uh, who have not really been all that great lately. I mean, they did, they traded, uh, they did trade Oladipo to get back Lavert, who uh, more or less may have had his life saved by that trade because the physical found that he had a tumor, uh, one of his kidneys, I believe. So he's out for a while. Uh, Isaiah Stewart got his first start ever. Uh, Plumlee had, uh, has uh, has bursitis of the elbow, and I uh, did a decent job against uh, against Demontis Sabonis, who's who's one of the better interior scorers in the league. Uh, I, I feel like, and we, we can talk about this a little bit later, I suppose, uh, with Stewart. But uh, I, I feel like he had a fairly good game. Grant, uh, as as you mentioned, Dante really struggled. Uh, he just his shots just weren't falling, and. Uh, yeah, Josh Jackson had, uh, had another strong game off the bench. Uh, Blake Griffin looked okay, but actually didn't play well. I mean, here's the thing about Blake. Uh, you can look at his points. It's like, okay, scored 16 points. Took him 13 shots and five free throws to get there. And he's almost invariably going to be worse than his stats because he's a pylon on defense and he can't move on offense. You know, you just got to give him the ball and let him go to work, and that's really not ideal. So... Uh, it was it was a little remarkable the game and then that uh, you saw Saku actually play some center and uh, you know the guy's a decent rebounder and uh, but you know he's he's not he's got a long way to go until he can actually face off and any of these heavier guys but you know I, I think he gave it you know, he did a decent job uh, until he got hit in the head not really much else to say about that game just the Pacers are the better team and they grinded it out. And, you know, a team that's playing up to nearly, you know, somewhere near its potential, a decent team. Uh, you know, they, they, they really picked it up in the second half. And any, any team that's, that's playing to its potential uh, that isn't named the Wizards or the, uh, or the Timberwolves is just going to beat the Pistons. It's <laughs> kind of the way well, it is. Mike, I think you're, you're missing a critical uh, storyline that emerged from that game. I'm oh, yeah. surprised you missed it. You're, yeah, you're usually on the ball, but uh, Davida Servitas recorded an assist. Oh, right. Yeah, so. his first counting stat. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, was yeah I don't know how you missed that. That they, would, that they would intentionally foul to get him a shot attempt, but, you know, I guess they just, you know, 
People don't care enough about the Dave to do that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, you're usually on the ball. I'm surprised you missed that. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's yeah. I have no excuse. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I admit to my wrongdoing. So that's the Pacers game. That was that. Yeah, that's the Pacers game. What? That and suffocating defense. That was a lot of fun to watch. If you're just a fan of good defense. Yeah, in the first half. But, yeah, both yeah. teams played good defense. In the second half, the Pacers, I think, broke out of whatever funk they were in and started moving the ball a little bit better. And and that's they they kept playing good defense. The Pistons really couldn't. Yeah, or as I saw it, yeah. I think this is a pretty cut and dry loss. Like I said, you know, kind of shout out to Josh Jackson, who's been playing a lot better off the bench. Uh, they're the guy, one of the things that really plagued him in Phoenix – uh, and, and even a bit with the Grizzlies last season, his shot selection, he takes some bad shots, and those really kind of compromise his efficiency. It's fun to watch. Uh, and then finally, the Boston game. Uh, worth noting that the Celtics were without their two primary ball handlers. That's Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker. Kemba hasn't been good this season, but probably better to play him than to have to fall back on Peyton Pritchard as your starting point guard. Uh, or Jeff Teague, uh, who is probably about one-third the player he was back in 2016. So uh, the story of that game, of course, was uh, was, uh, was Sadiq Bey. We'll talk about him uh, a little bit later on. Uh, he was 7-for-7 seven seven from three. Uh, first rookie in NBA history to make seven or more threes with, uh, without missing a single one, you know, whatever. The stat is what it is, a little cherry-picked. But it's great to see him have a good game. Uh, only other player who really did – only the two other, uh, actually, only other one player period who, who did particularly well was uh, was Delon Wright, who had a good game. You know, aside from that, I mean, the Pistons on defense did a did a pretty good job of of slowing down Tatum and uh, and Brown, neither of whom really scored particularly efficiently. Those are two very very good players. I think uh, I think it was Tatum who, after the game, said uh, remarked on that he kind of got beat up by the Pistons a little bit. Uh, he wasn't saying this in a complimentary way, but yeah, it's nice to hear it nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was nice. That was yeah. nice. Sort of, uh, sort of finding an identity a little bit. Um, and obviously kind of uh, playing into the history of the Pistons. That was nice to hear. That was nice. You always like reading stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a close game. I mean, to Sadiq Bey, I think he could convincingly say was the difference. Uh, Jeremy Grant really struggled again. And, uh, I mean, he, not, not nearly as bad as he is against, uh, against the Pacers, but he, he didn't really have a particularly good game on offense. Yeah, I'm Grant starting is, to think... Sorry, go on. I'm starting to think maybe, maybe Jeremy should get a night off here because I noticed, I don't remember, I think it was at the end of maybe the third quarter, um, Grant kind of tried to jump into... Peyton Pritchard rather than shooting over him, which to me just shows that he's kind of, he's missing his legs a little bit. I think he's tired. Um, Could be. And yeah, yeah. That's, I, and honestly, I would say that it's likely to be the case. I remember a long time ago, I watched a Kobe Bryant interview where he talked about how probably the biggest, um, the, the biggest factor for uh, players shots, not falling towards the end of the season is just the, just, just fatigue. Um, you have to be able to get that trajectory when you jump, right? And when your legs are tired and there's, you know, buildup of uh, 
buildup of fatigue, right? You're you're probably not going to score as efficiently. You're going to settle for bad shots. Um, so we're I think we're starting to see that with Grant, and it doesn't help too. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but he hasn't really been getting a lot of calls uh, the last few games. He hasn't been to the line quite as much as we're accustomed to to seeing him there. So a combination of no calls and uh, no legs, I think, is that this is the result, right? So I would not be surprised at all to see Grant uh, get a load management day here coming up, and then he's probably going to come back refreshed and start to look like himself again. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, he yeah, had uh, that's a good idea. three free throws last night and zero against the Pacers. So. Yeah, it's not normal. It's not normal no, it's when not. someone um, goes to the basket as as often as he does. And honestly, he doesn't just throw up a floater. Like, he goes hard. He goes mm-hmm. hard to the rim. He draws a lot of contact. Um, he ends up on his ass a lot. <laughs> and so when he puts his hands up and he's like, where's my call? I agree with him. I, 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 I He's getting absolutely beat up out there. And he's just not getting the respect that he deserves, quite frankly. So, I but I don't expect that to last. Um, those calls are probably going to regress back to the mean, um, and then combined with with some uh, some days off, I think we're going to see the return of uh, normal Jeremy Grant. All right, that's a great point. Uh, all right, so that's the the games of the week. Uh, we got two wins and two losses, which is. Uh, more success, I think, than we'd like to see out of the Pistons, but that is what it is. Uh, so just to just to reiterate to anybody, uh, you know, to those of you who listen to the podcast and, and might wonder why we don't want the Pistons to be winning, of course, is draft position. And yes, there was a lottery reform that allows the the three worst teams the same odds at the number one overall pick. Now, that said, if you're the worst team in the league, you are guaranteed at least the fifth pick. Obviously, it, it, your chances of dropping past four uh, is the as the as the worst team uh, are very low but you're guaranteed at least the fifth pick and this is a five deep draft i mean so a very very good season to be the worst team all right so uh let's move on from there to uh one of the stories of the week that'd be derrick rose being traded so yeah tommy i know you had wanted derrick rose to be gone for a while what are your thoughts about this trade you know basically in particular yeah, I think- yeah, good enough trade. I, I think Rose wanted to go to New York where Thibs loves him and will probably get a nice role on the offense. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Pistons picked New York's offer in part because they wanted to do Rose right. And I'm okay with that. Uh, we're not talking about a crazy good return here. I don't think any of the offers were going to be significantly better than the other. I'm really happy that uh, when the org seems like they're going to get that reputation with players and agents as a good team to work with, I think that's probably one of the maybe the unseen benefits of this trade. And then as far as, you know, losing Derrick Rose, I'll be honest, I think it's addition, addition by subtraction. Uh, Rose did play with blinders, blinders sometimes, and I think he took a lot of possessions from the young guys playing in the bench unit. And I think the ball is going to move a lot better now, and that's better for development. Uh, Rose was able to get to the basket without too much trouble, and now the team will have to work harder and work together to get those open looks. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. So. I'm happy with the trade. I think people are starting to get a little bit not tired of Rose isoing. I still respect him as a great talent, but I don't, I don't think he was the player that the Pistons needed right now. So I'm happy with it. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, addition by subtraction is a good way to put it. I mean, Rose is a good player, uh, formerly great player, um, and he fits best, in my opinion, right now on a team that's obviously trying to win. Right. So when the majority of your um, young talent that plays a primary role in your rebuild is coming off the bench and they're playing with Derek Rose, who 
has the mentality of score, score, score at all costs. Not much of a facilitator right now at this point in his career. Um, it makes a lot of sense to move him, and it makes a lot of sense to move him right now. And I like, Tommy, that you said that we're, we're doing right by Rose, and I completely agree. Uh, it's kind of a trend in Detroit right now. You just saw it with Matthew Stafford going to the Rams. You know, when you have a great player um, who's earned the right to kind of choose the path that their career is set to take, I, I think it's a classy move to to get their input on where they're traded because I think that only reflects well on the organization. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. And hey, if this was 2019, I would be so fired up about Dennis Smith Jr. And even in 2021, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what he's got. Um, he's been underwhelming his first two games, but then again, point guard's the hardest position to play in basketball. I don't think there's any debate there. So we'll see what he looks like when he gets his feet under him. But overall, good trade. I'd give it an A probably. I'm not grading them, but if I was. I give the trade a B just for the return. Uh, I, I agree with both of you guys that I, that, you know, and that you've said that Rose was done a solid and sent where he wanted to go. I don't know. Uh, who knows? I mean, I, I can't say exactly what the benefits would be of, of establishing that reputation. Maybe they're good. Uh, I can, I, I just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's hard to gauge. Or I'd say impossible to gauge exactly what the benefits of that would be versus maybe the opportunity to gain a little bit more in the way of assets. Now, of course, we don't know what the other offers were. We do know that there were other teams that were interested. Uh, the Clippers were interested. And uh, I think there were a couple other teams listed. I can't remember. Now, if the Pistons passed up a substantively better offer for the sake of sending Rose where he wanted to go, uh, that's something of which I would not really be quite as much of a fan. I don't think he was ever going to garner more than like a couple of second round picks. Uh, who knows? Maybe Weeper was also just very high in Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, Whatever the case, I do absolutely agree with addition by subtraction. Uh, Rose is, he can't play in a system. Uh, he he very much is just a give me a pick and I'm going to go attack the basket kind of player. He's very straightforward. And uh, I don't know if Dwayne Casey ever tried to dissuade him of that. I, I really doubt it. Dwayne Casey really respects his veterans and just kind of lets them play the way they want to play. That was in, kind of an issue in Toronto and, uh, and uh, particularly with DeMar DeRozan. And uh, I, I think could just as easily have been the situation in this case. If so, I think that's really a shame and a failure of coaching. But I think the Knicks are a great situation for him because the way I see Rose, he becomes less useful the better the team is. Uh, if you're a really good team that can have good players on the floor at all times, it's really not beneficial to you and, you know, and run a successful offense. Offensive scheme. It's really not beneficial to you to, to put the ball in Rose's hands and just let him play the way he wants. So, uh, the Knicks apparently have playoff aspirations. They don't have a great bench, and uh, I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I mean, I think that they're, they're they're eighth in the East right now with the with the sub five hundred record, and they've I think managed eighth because of this hilarious statistical anomaly whereby their opponents are shooting a horrible percentage on wide open threes. It's it's just a complete statistical aberration, but. I think it's a great situation for Rose, and he gets to play with Tom Thibodeau, uh, who has coached. <laughs> he's, he's played for Tom Thibodeau on three different teams now. So, uh, yeah, uh, and also Rose has been on 100% of the teams that Tom Thibodeau has coached. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I don't remember who it was, some prominent uh uh, you know, the NBA Twitter and you know NBA analyst on Twitter said, you know, find uh, the coach who loves you like Tom Thibodeau loves Derrick Rose. So, 
<laughs> yeah, Dennis Smith Jr., I mean, we'll see. Uh, he was one of the worst players in the league last season. Uh, he, he didn't he didn't make it into the rotation this season. Uh, he was he was fairly good as a rookie, looked promising, uh, decent in, in his in his what I believe was his second season. And uh, you know we'll see. Incredibly athletic. Uh, funny story about him: he actually tore his ACL in high school, and he knew it. And he got home, and he just he didn't have any pain or swelling. And uh, the doctors, when they went in, uh, found out that he's one of uh, a small percentage of people who has two ACLs. So he didn't actually suffer any loss of athleticism as a result. So super athletic, uh, not the greatest necessarily point guard things like passing, you know, like uh, like running an offense and, and making those kind of elite passes. Uh, not the greatest jump shooter. So we'll see how it goes. It's always exciting to see it, that, you know, a potential good young talent. Maybe the Pistons can reclaim. So anything to add on uh, on the Rose trade, Dennis Smith Jr.? I would just go um, back to the uh, the one thing about. You, know, you don't really know what teams are thinking in terms of like doing a player, right? There was one story that stuck with me like maybe a year ago when Anthony Davis was like trying to find his next team after the Pelicans. Uh, the Celtics were one of the teams that was reportedly interested. I mean, every team is going to be interested in Anthony Davis. But Anthony Davis's father went on ESPN and was like, nope, my son is not playing for Boston. Did you see what they did to Isaiah Thomas? So stuff like that. I think it does kind of sit in the back of their minds. So that's one of the, I mean, for a pretty low impact move, I think gaining that reputation is important as being uh, a, a player focused organization that. Yeah. Uh, players talk. Yeah, Players talk like they know what's going on and, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're all in constant community. Well, not all of them, but I'm sure a large contingency of players are in, uh, pretty regular communication and so they hear through the grapevine like which organizations do right by their players and which organizations don't uh, that's not just the NBA that's that's all the major sports leagues honestly so I couldn't agree more and you know what Rose has earned the right in my opinion with a career like his and having to face the adversity that he's faced to say hey I would prefer to go here and we already knew that he had a good relationship with the Pistons front office. So this to me is, even if there was a slightly better offer on the table, I, I would think that um, that's outweighed by the the positive or the, the good look uh, that we're getting by sending Rose where he wants to go. It, it should be noted that uh, Anthony Davis did come out himself and say that Boston was on quote unquote the list, the list of teams with whom he would resign, with, with, uh, with which he would resign rather. Uh, you know, who knows? You know, who knows if he was being upfront or not, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's entirely possible. This is just one of those intangibles. You never know what kind of impact it'll have. Uh, you know, maybe it will have a positive impact. I think you just have to measure that against what the return might've been from another team. And who knows, maybe this was one of the best returns they could have gotten. Uh, it, it's worth mentioning also that Weaver kind of did a solid to the nuggets in allowing them to trade, uh, to, to, to send over grants and a sign and trade and thereby gain a, the trade exception in the realm of, I think, nine and a half million dollars. That was basically just to sell it to the nuggets, the Pistons. What they got out of that was the draft rights to Nikola Radicevic, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who is a, I think was drafted like five years ago and uh, is not good in Europe. He was obviously never going to come over to the United States and do anything for the Pistons. Uh, they just, you know, if you want to, if you want to make a trade, you have to send over either uh, cash considerations or uh, picks or pick swaps or draft rights. So they sent over the draft rights, uh, the Nuggets, to do a player who's never coming to the United States. 
so in that situation, it's all that pissed, all that Weaver was buying was goodwill, and who knows? Maybe that will get, maybe that will help somehow. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Talk about uh, Sadiq Bay, as mentioned, a uh, big game last night. Uh, Tommy, you are a huge fan of Sadiq Bay. Why don't you uh, yeah. take it away? Absolutely, I'd be comfortable starting him. I'm honestly more thrilled that he's been closing in the closing lineups for a few games. And I think that speaks to the trust that Casey has in him. Uh, he's still playing within himself, forcing absolutely nothing. He recognize he's learning to recognize when he has a mismatch and he takes it inside, and that's really helping with his two point percentage. And beyond that, he's making these smart cuts to receive dump off passes. He's just expanding his game rapidly, and of course, he's getting his three point shot back. And uh, I'm really happy to see that he's getting a more defined role in the offense, and I hope that continues because after some inconsistent minutes in that DNP, uh, it really seemed to do a number on his three point shooting. I think he was kind of rushing his shot a little bit, and I don't think, you know, you don't want that at all. Uh, we talked, I don't know if it was on the podcast or just talking about how Greg Kelser on the broadcast said, you know, one of the worst things for your confidence is playing some minutes here, then not playing, and then playing some more. I think that was pretty obviously like the struggle that Bay was having because we know he's a great three-point shooter, so I'm really glad that he seems to be getting his touch back, and I – Really don't think uh, he's going to get the starting spot anytime soon. It just doesn't seem like the sort of thing that Casey would do, but he's making a case for it, and I think he could easily be the fourth best player uh, on a championship team. You know, he has a very complete game. He doesn't need the ball very much, and he just continues to grow and add to his game. Love watching him. Yeah, he Bay is just – he's a wonderful player, man. Like, it has been – such a joy to watch him and especially for a franchise that has been severely lacking in um, exciting young talent. Like this is a guy who it becomes more and more apparent uh, the more games we watch him play consistent minutes that he's going to be a very valuable player for a very long time. Um, and at first, you know, when we first drafted him, I remember uh, I, I knew about him prior to us drafting him, but I, I looked into it a little bit more. And I was like, okay, like he can play some defense. He's a good three-point shooter. Like he'll probably be a valuable player. But if <laughs> if last night is any indication, this guy's got quite the ceiling. Um, and he seems like an absolutely great kid from all of the interviews that I've seen and the articles that I've read. And he's got all the tools that are necessary um, to really make a leap and become more than just a role player, like a very good player on a very good team. So I'm with you, Tommy. I, I, just, I think he's excellent. I think it's been a privilege to watch him, and um, I totally agree with you that he should be starting. He he is so much better than Wayne Ellington. It's not even funny. Uh, but then again, this is Casey. Um, Casey's not probably not going to deviate from his um, from his veterans when he doesn't have to. Um, and honestly, <laughs> you'd think that a game like last night's would be forcing Casey's hand, but I don't see Casey making any substantive changes either. Even though Bay has more than earned the right to to play a ton of minutes on this team. So those those are my thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, what what was said on 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 the broadcast by George Blaha and Greg Kelser. Kelser uh, was noting that you know I didn't really care in the NBA if he came off the bench uh, or started as long as he was getting you know the same minutes or consistent minutes. And and Blaha said, uh, yeah, it's it's really hard if you're playing 20 minutes one game and only five to six minutes the next. And Kelser said, yeah, that's the worst. And uh, I, I don't think that they realized they were uh, they were effectively criticizing Dwayne Casey on the air. 
<laughs> I don't think that was their intent, uh, but they were uh, because uh, that's exactly what happened with Bay. It's happened to other players too. So uh, as far as Bay is concerned, uh, yeah, great to see. Clearly very high character player. Uh, we've heard the same thing about all of Weaver's draftees. Uh, Wes so about seven Lee, but we just haven't heard very much about him. He really hasn't gotten to play. So not that we haven't heard good things. It's just we haven't heard things. So uh, it's certainly very clear that Bay is, uh, Bay is, is a high character player. Uh, last night it was said that you know after the game he was actually getting in a workout. You know, after after putting up uh, certainly the best game of his short career and leading his team in points, uh, I think he was tied with KCP for the most points scored by a rookie. Uh, not that I want to comp anybody to KCP because the guy was completely infuriating as player in Detroit, just comically comically inconsistent. But in any event, uh, <laughs> I digress. So, yeah, clearly very high character. Same way as Isaiah Stewart, by all accounts. Same way as, as Killian Hayes, and. Uh, I don't think so. Here's what I think about Bay. I think Bay has it within him certainly to be an elite three point shooter. He's got a wonky release, but it works. And uh, d- defensively speaking, I, th- I think it, one thing last night showed is he does still have a way to go. I mean, he he got he got cut up by Tatum, which is not anything to be ashamed of for a rookie. But so and and I think he'll probably. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be a particularly good player within the arc just because. He doesn't really have the the explosiveness or the lift. Uh, that said, what Tommy and I talked about a lot, uh, or Tommy in particular in draft uh, in draft previews, is that Bay has other things uh, in which he is useful on on defense. Uh, you know, finding good lanes to the baskets, running the pick and roll a little bit, making the right pass. He always makes the right pass. Uh, these are things I think would be would be better exploited by a coach who is more detail oriented. Casey is not detail oriented on offense. He just sends his players out there, and that's that. So, uh, you know, it said he, he doesn't even run plays. That's what I mean. He just comes up with his offense, and, and that's that. Yeah, so, involving Sadiq into the offense a little bit more. They had him on the weeks in the weak side corner, kind of as like a bailout option in case, you know, if it was Jeremy or DeLon driving to the basket, they get stuck. They could pass it to him. I'm happy that they're kind of bringing him into the offense. They're having him run some screens and kind of move on the perimeter. I don't like him in the corner. I don't know the stats on this, but I feel like he does shoot worse from the corner than he does from, like, the wing. I'd prefer to keep him there. He's such a good three-point shooter. You have to, like, make use of that. I don't like keeping him just in the corner for the sake of improving the spacing. I think that there are other guys you can do that with. No, 100%. Yep, for sure. He's got to be running around getting open because yep. even if you were watching last night, it's not as if he's making wide open corner threes all day. Like this dude was was hitting nothing but net with hands right in his face. I honest to God thought that half those threes were going to be blocked and he somehow got them off. So he, I, I, Mike, you say you added in him to be an elite three-point shooter. I would even argue that he is an exceptional three-point shooter right now. And if the Pistons want to win, which I know, you know, we don't want them to win too much, but clearly Dwayne Casey wants them to win. I'm sure Troy Weaver doesn't mind if they win off the backs of their young players. They ought to find ways to get Sadiq more involved in more creative ways, but that hasn't been the case thus far. And it, you know, and it took a prolific shooting night for for Sadiq to kind of carve out his role, unfortunately. So unless Casey starts adjusting here, um, I'm scared that games like these are going to be pure anomalies, and we're not going to see many more of them. Uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, So that's my concern. And then the other point I wanted to touch on, Mike, was you mentioned how he didn't have the greatest lift, but I mean, that tomahawk dunk last night, that that surprised me. I didn't think he had that in him, and he just 
yammed it. Like it was crazy. Um, and if he can get the ball in transition and go up strong like that, like that's a harder dunk than I've ever seen from Isaiah Stewart. So Sadiq's got some athleticism to him that might not be apparent when you first watch him, but if he can kind of, you know, tap into that and put that in his tool bag or his tool belt, rather, uh, he's got the makings of a really, really good player that can do a lot more than just shoot threes. So that's, yeah, that's, that's where I, I stand. Agree. I agree with that. My, the issue, so he's got some lift. He does not have an explosive first step. You see when he drives into the interior, it's generally kind of wonky and there's a lot of turning and, you know, posting up and whatnot. Uh, it's he's not polished. Just, no, it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's not so much that it's not polished. I, I, in my opinion, I think he just doesn't really have the burst to beat guys off the dribble in the NBA and the NCAA, even he, it was often just that he was, he was, he's, he's big, uh, and, and strong by NCAA standards. He was just able to bully guys, uh, you know, that one of the concerns in, I know going to the NBA was what he would be able to do within the arc. So, but I think. Like I said, I think this is a it's a it's a high IQ player who's going to be able, able to take advantage of open lanes, who's going to be able to participate as a passer and so on and so forth. And like you both said, he, he's just gotten shoved off to the periphery. He's been nothing but a spot up shooter for the most part. Or Casey clearly is included in the game plan. Why don't you try some offense within the arc? And I don't I don't think that's really the way to maximize what Sadiq Bay can do. Uh, but as far as the shooting, yeah, it, it's it's worth noting he was one of the best shooters in the country in the NCAA in his sophomore season there, uh, in his final season there. He shot, uh, and sure, you have, you know, aside from, aside from the corners, you have a shorter three-point line. It's closer to the basket in the NCAA, but nonetheless. And the guy shot 45% in five and a half, five and a half attempt, attempts per game in, in 31 games. I mean, that's he's, he's, he's already an excellent shooter. Uh, Tommy, you asked about the corners. Uh, he's actually shot uh, his best from the left corner. He shot fairly well from the right corner. What's really great is he's shooting 41% from above the break. So important to be able to shoot well from above the break. I mean, that's such such a vital component of of effectively spacing the floor. There are some guys who are who are only good from the corners, and that that really sharply reduces your utility. And yeah, uh, a rough stretch that he had when he was kind of like you said, a per, like a second thought on the offense. I, I feel like he wasn't shooting very well because that's pretty much where he was parked for most of the games, and he would get it and put it up pretty much immediately. I felt like he was a little bit out of rhythm, and then. I just want to say, going back to like the two-point shooting thing and uh, beating guys off the dribble, when he has the mismatch, he did do that a few times last night. I know at least at one point he initiated contact and drove in on somebody, and it was a smaller guard. I don't think he could do that against guys his size like Jalen Brown or Tatum. But, you know, when he has the mismatch, it seems like he can put enough together uh, to get to the to the rim. Sort of. I mean, he's, he's shooting only at uh, 52% in the restricted area so far. It's only it's on less than 30 attempts. So that's, that's a tiny sample size, but he's just got a way to go. But I mean, I, honestly, it, I mean, I don't know where the defense is. He's a smart defender. He needs to, in my opinion, learn to compensate for the fact that he doesn't have an explosive first step. Uh, so uh, that that's just going to be a matter of intelligence. I mean, like I said, he, he just got sliced apart by Tatum a few times last night. And that's, not, again, nothing to be ashamed of. Tatum is one of the best uh, one of the best forwards and one of the best and, and the best basketball league in the world. He's incredibly athletic and he's a fantastic scorer, but it's, it's just at the base seems to by some very explosive players get caught a little bit flat footed, but uh, he's, he's a smart player. I have no doubt he'll, he'll, he'll work to improve. I think if you, if you have a guy who, who can shoot threes at an elite level, uh, who can participate as a passer to a degree, who's just very smart on offense, and you have a coach who's able to maximize that and you can play a good defense, then sure, uh, you, you know you might have uh, a reliable starter on a good team. 
uh, it's been nice to see him get some opportunities to shoot around screens. It's like what you said, Tommy, is true. He basically got no opportunity to do anything but stand still and shoot for like the first 20 games of the season. And just being DNP'd for no reason, uh, just that I could say, uh, having his minutes slashed and then being DNP'd and whatnot uh, is puzzling. We never heard anything about it. Uh, and I have no doubt that that would throw any player off the rhythm. So uh, I don't I don't agree that he's got a really high ceiling, but if you've got a player who can do those things, who can play defense at a good level, shoot an elite level, and just make good decisions with the ball, uh, then you know it, it, even just in a vacuum, that's a fantastic value on the number nineteen pick, and at the very least, you've got a solid rotation player and a good team. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, it was good to see, and uh, I think yeah, we're all certainly obviously in agreement uh, that uh, hope to see, hope that he continues to get those opportunities, and concerned that they will just go away for no reason. <laughs> at, at the behest <laughs> of a coach who has uh, always made some puzzling decisions along those lines. Do you guys uh, do you guys want to talk about him being benched for like three minutes in the fourth quarter? Because I was wondering if I missed something, um, why he was just taken out and then put back in with like two minutes to go. Um, because that to me is just inexplicable. Like, and, and I know I've, I've, yeah, he got put back in with three minutes, three or so minutes to go of the third quarter, right? Something like that. And then it, well, it's, it's just to me that kind of, and I, and again, I don't want to just turn this into bash Casey, bash Casey, but um, I've spoken on this before, just coming from like a, like a competitive sports background, there, there really isn't a substitute. Um, whether you got the best, it doesn't matter if you have the best player development staff in the world. There's no substitute for real in-game experience. Like no scrimmage, no drill is ever going to replicate that. So to me, um, Sadiq ended the half, you know, burning hot. He was incredible. I think he had like 19 points at that time. And in my opinion, a truly good coach is going to recognize that his young player, his rookie is having an absolute superstar night. And to me, you, you got to let them revel in that a little bit and be like, okay, now that I'm the guy right now, the defense is going to focus on me. I'm carrying the offense. How am I going to respond to what's going to be thrown at me in the second half? Am I going to keep it up or am I going to fall apart? Like, am I going to start making good passes or am I going to keep turning the ball over? Like there, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered when a young player gets off to a start like that. And when you yank them until two minutes in, left in the third quarter, you don't give them the chance to to play through those those quandaries, if that makes sense. Um, you don't let them develop their responses uh, to being put in those situations. I, I hope I'm making sense right now, but it just defies all logic to me that someone can have a game like that and then still get inconsistent minutes in the second half. It doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't really know what else to say about it other than it, it just baffled me. And I know he had a career high 30. I bet he could have had 40 shooting the way that he was. So it was frustrating. Yeah, it was it was frustrating, and this is just something that Dwayne Casey does. Hey, let's put it that way. It's just something that Dwayne Casey does, and he always has done. And he's not it, when it comes to a young player who's doing who's doing really well. Casey is not likely to ride the hot hands. It did remind me a little bit of uh, a game back in 2017, uh, and I, I don't want to compare it, Dwayne Casey to Stan Van Gundy, not because I don't think they have some things in common, just because I don't want to have any association between Stan Van Gundy and the Troy Pistons. <laughs> but uh, Van Gundy was absolutely horrible at riding the hot hands or making any deviations from his game plan and no matter what. And Tobias Harris was like seven for seven from three in the first, first half. And in the second half, I mean, it's like, Stan, don't you think you should just ride the hot hands? Nope. Just sticks with his game plan, which, uh, you know, which had, 
uh, Tobias is basically like often the tertiary option beyond, beyond his guards. So, uh, yeah. And then I believe that was the night Reggie Jackson broke his ankle. Not, not a good game. <laughs> so the Pistons won, but whatever. Or not broke. He had a grade three sprain in his ankle that derailed that season and ultimately led to Blake Griffin ending up on the team. So all right, the trade, whatever the case. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was irritating to me also. Uh, that's just something that you got to put with Dwayne Casey, who I think is just not going to, who has his ideas and is not going to deviate from them very easily. All right. So let's move on yeah. to another rookie who has, who has made strides. We've talked about Isaiah Stewart a lot uh, over the last three weeks. Certainly. Uh, I think uh, I always enjoy talking about him. It's, it's certainly uh, very enjoyable uh, to, to watch him. And uh, for me, uh, you know, I've said that, you know, it'd be a good pick if he can, Learn to switch if he can switch and he can shoot threes and whatnot. Uh, and I'll just put it this way: I mean, it's it's become very hard to, to for me to predict exactly where he's going to go in the NBA. Um, so uh, I'm going to stop trying. Uh, to know as far <laughs> as what his ceiling is, yeah. but uh, yeah, Tommy, I know you you've uh, you you mentioned that you think he's made a lot of strides. Yeah, I think it was what last week where I said. Yeah, I still think in the NBA he's probably still a career backup or that's his best role. And I feel like he's he's kind of changing my mind. I still don't know. I'm not really worried about the foul-prone thing. Uh, I think that's just going to come with experience. The main thing for me is can he be part of like a really good pick-and-roll duo? I think it would take some work around of his lack of verticality. But, you know, there were some moments where he just kind of makes up for with just – effort and like he moves so quickly there was one possession I forget it might have been against the Pacers where uh, there were two defenders trying to trap Blake Griffin in the corner and he did thread the pass to Isaiah and as soon as Isaiah got it's like if you blinked you would have missed him going up and dunking it with like all the energy in the world there's just so there's just so much ferocity to him and I think he's kind of helping redefine who this team is and giving them an identity Uh, he's playing so so hard I I know that a lot of people make jokes about like oh well if you didn't know who Isaiah Stewart was or if the opposing center didn't know who he was they know him now because he's a fighter and I would love to see you know especially now that he's learned to shoot threes I would love to see them kind of work around um, the lack of above the rim play and turn him into a starter because I think his energy is infectious and the way that he's able to beat guys down the floor there was one possession I think he blocks a bonus under the rim and he was still somehow the first guy down the floor and he ended up finishing uh, a push ahead pass by Josh Jackson. He's just incredibly fun to watch. And I really hope that he proves me wrong. If he can be the starter and there's no issues there, uh, I'd be so happy. I love watching Isaiah Stewart and yeah, we talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Tommy. I, incredible <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. That's it. Go ahead. Yeah. That's, I just love watching him. Uh, no, I was just gonna say. I think um, I think we had talked about this either either on last week's podcast or, or the week before. But I, yeah, I don't believe taking a backup center with your first round pick, like a top twenty pick, is 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 like if their ceiling is a backup center. I think it was bad, um, and I don't want to believe that that's what uh, Weaver was going for. So I think he envisions him as a starter for sure. And I mean, that three that he ripped was it against Brooklyn that he hit the three? I don't remember. But it was like gorgeous, and if he can keep that up, like yeah, he's a valuable starter who can space the floor a little bit while playing, hopefully, eventually elite defense on the other side. 
Um, I would take it a step further. I don't know if either of you guys are going to agree with me. And I know we were talking about this a little bit, uh, a little bit before we started recording, but I, I, I think he's better than Plumlee. Like I do. Um, and I don't, I think the plan is for him to, to, <laughs> to take Plumlee's spot before too long here. Now, I don't know if Casey's going to do that, but I think he's more than earned the right. Um, I think he's a better player. I don't, I know we've had it out over Plumlee a couple times, um, <laughs> and we could do it right now if you want. But yeah, I think Stewart is, just offers more. Um, that's 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 about. And he's super fun to watch too. Plumlee's not sure. fun to watch for me. Let's move on. Let's move on to Plumlee. Make your case. Let's do Plumlee. Let's do it. All right. So my first, the first evidence that the prosecution would like to. Well, let me read the charges first. So I'm I'm going to charge Mason <laughs> Plumlee with not being that good. Those are the charges. It's a it's an indictable offense. And the evidence that I would like to cite, uh, <laughs> the evidence that I would like to cite in bringing that case is that I believe the vast, vast, vast majority of Plumlee's counting stats are accrued simply by being there, by showing up and having a pulse. Because Dwayne Casey literally came out and said, <laughs> I can't even believe it, Mason is the quarterback of our team. And it's like, well, at that time, your team had the worst record in the NBA. So how good of a quarterback is he? He's not. If Plumlee is the one who's putting up the big stats on your team, who's running the offense, who's the quarterback, and your team has that record, he's not a very good player. Now, I don't want to make the case that Plumlee's bad because I don't think he's bad, um, but I think he's a bit overrated by uh, not necessarily you guys, but I think a contingency of Pistons fans who might not watch the games and just look at the box score, and they're like, oh, Plumlee's got 13 points and 12 rebounds and four assists. Like he, He's really good. He was a good pickup. No. No, I don't think so. I think he gets those stats because he showed up. Um, he showed up, and 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 that's it. So you, you feel free to rebut, but that that's my case. I'm going to leave it at that for now until closing statements. Well, this is kind of awkward because it's not that I don't I don't disagree with you. I just my thing is I'm not mad that he's starting because I think that he's doing the exact thing that he was brought here to do. Like I think it was Jane. I mean, this isn't some crazy concept. If you're a tanking team the GM is supposed to assemble a team that's not going to win games. And I partially think that that's why Plumlee is here. You know, he's the last line of defense. And there was a quote from media day. I think I have it here. Um, I think we, we all agree. He's not a good defender. He's not a particularly good rebounder. And uh, one of the things that Weaver said is he was talking about the importance of rebounding. And the quote is, it's the number one thing I look at controlling the backboard. If you control the backboard, you're going to win a high percentage of your games. That's going to be a big emphasis. We expect to see an uptick there. Plumlee doesn't rebound all that well. Uh, I think that he's here specifically because he's going to help us lose games. And I'm Does not Casey mad know at that. that? <laughs> like, do you think? Like, is, is is Casey in on it? I just thought it was. Funny. I was laughing when you were talking because he's our starting center, and you're like, "Well, he doesn't play great defense, and he doesn't rebound that well." And it's like, "Oh, that's it." That's that's all he doesn't do well. But I don't know. I don't know if Casey is. I, I'm not saying I disagree with you, Tommy, but I don't know if Casey sees it the way that you do. I think that Casey thinks that Plumlee gives us the best chance to win when he's starting at center. I fully believe that. I don't know what Weaver thinks, but I know that's what Casey thinks. Um, so given that, I, yeah, I disagree with him. I disagree with him. I think Stewart offers a little bit more right now, infinitely more on defense, and he's a lot more springy on offense. Uh, Plumlee doesn't have a great vertical either, and he's not much of a uh, – he's caught a couple lobs, but, I mean, so is Stewart. So, really, it's kind of a wash there. And if all that Mason can offer right now that Stewart doesn't is, like, three assists a game, four assists a game, 
when he still turns the ball over a couple times too pretty badly it's like at that point it's not much of a contest over who's the better player so um i think we disagree a little bit less than we thought we did and and i respect your arguments but at the end of the day like if you want to if you want to get it done in the court of law you can't you can't start your rebuttal by saying you agree with someone so that was a blunder <laughs> on your part there that's why i'm not in law <laughs> I agree with the prosecution. <laughs> the judge would throw it right out. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, as we started to go on it, I was like, oh, well, we actually kind of agree. That's awkward. But no, like yeah. here's the thing. Like, I, I agree with you. There are some frustrating aspects to Plumley's game. His catch radius is small. He's not a great rebounder. He's taking minutes from Stewart. But I think it's by design. So I can't get mad at Casey because or I can't get mad at Weaver because I want us to lose games. You know, if if Plumley is the reason that we're losing games. I'm okay with that because we're, how do you practice, you know, efficient offense and passing the ball well and still lose games? Like, how do you play well and still lose? You need to lose the possessions game. And I think that's kind of where the, the rebounding differential comes into play. Because if you, even if you're playing a little bit better than the other team, if, even if you're shooting well, even if your offense looks good, if the other team is getting more possessions than you, there's a good chance you're still going to lose. So, like I know we've kind of talked about like is Weaver like a genius? This is one of those things where it's like, wow, maybe he's like really thought this through <laughs> really well. And I think that's part of I know it's crazy. It's like that tinfoil hat idea, but man, I don't that would be absolute galaxy brain level. Yeah, What's that, that would be like pure galaxy brain from Weaver. You know, if he was like so advanced in his thinking that he's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to draft a center top 20. He's going to be better than this guy that I'm about to sign. However, my coach is going to start the inferior center and therefore we're going to lose games. If that's what's actually going on, then we have some masterminds in Little Caesars Arena. Okay. So <laughs> I <laughs> I hope you're right, man. I do. I, I do. I hope you're right. And you make some good points too. So. This was a successful case overall. I think Plumlee's going to uh, – he might have to take a plea bargain. He doesn't take away from the development of, like, the people around him. He just – he keeps the ball moving. It's not like Drummond where, like, he would, you know, demand his possessions and his touches and he was just gonna... – No, he's not like Drummond. Yeah, like, yeah he's not like Drummond. Play next to he's just not that good. So he's keeping us from winning too many games, but he's not hurting development. Yeah, and that's, that's why fair. I'm like pretty okay with what's happening. And I think that Casey's one of those coaches who really hates like the rookie mistakes, like those, like the foul proneness that Isaiah Stewart, you know, has. I think that really frustrates Casey. That's probably the reason he's not starting. That's probably the reason that he didn't get into the late game situation when we needed defense. I think that's like Plumlee. They kind of know the game better and they're a little bit more reliable, I'd say. And I think. I don't know. I mean, the way these guys are improving, I, I can't be too mad at Casey right now. Like, we well, are- Plumlee's faced some foul trouble too. Like yeah, Plumlee, Plumlee is not great staying out of foul trouble. Didn't he foul out of three consecutive games earlier? I think it was something yeah. like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, he actually, he actually fouls. He and he and Stewart fouled at a roughly comparable rate. Oh, that is really good evidence for me. That's yeah. that's what's called the smoking gun. Yeah, five five point three fouls per uh, per thirty six versus uh, for Mason Plumley, it's four point six. So it's not too far apart. Let me let me break in here. I don't think uh, so. Plumley probably aside from his passing, he's pretty he's, he's pretty unremarkable. He's done a good job of his passing lately, but 
you've got a guy who is not athletic enough really to defend on switches. He's not a, he's, he's an average rim protector uh, at his best. Uh, he can't space the floor. He's, he's, I'd say, a guy who's out there, aside from his passing, he does work hard. He's a character guy, clearly. Aside from his passing, I mean, he's a guy who's, who's racking up counting stats and not good counting stats uh, because he's out there. I mean, he's, uh, he's playing about 27 and a half minutes per game. He's averaging about 10 points and nine rebounds. That is what it is. I'm not convinced he's worse than Stewart right now. I'd say certainly his ceiling is lower. Uh, I, I think the advantage that comes of of starting uh, of, of starting Plumlee and letting Stewart come off the bench gives you more it gives you more control over the situations in which you're playing Stewart. He might actually get to participate more in the offense when he's not playing next to Griffin. And it, it does when it comes to to fouls and just learning. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad situation that he's that he's coming off the bench right now. Uh, I do think it will be a bad situation if he continues to develop uh, quite a bit in this season and he's still coming off the bench behind Plumley. I think Plumley is a pretty mediocre player. I think I don't think he was brought in for three years and at the cost of stretching four million dollars you know of salary over the next three years and three million over the next two years for the sake of being a bad center. Uh, you can <laughs> easily get somebody who's going to be bad and not pay him anywhere near that amount of money and not stretch any salary at all. So clearly, Weaver really wanted the guy in particular. But, you know, it's just, he's here, seems to be a good presence. Is he, has he been actually good? I would say not really. And I don't think you'll really have a very easy time trading the guy at any stage. He's a traditional big and a multi-year contract. And in the last year of his contract, he kind of trade kicker. He's going to be making about 10 million against the cap. So good luck. But I'm not dissatisfied with the way things are going. Uh, as long as Stewart plays about half the minutes, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel too strongly about Plumlee one way or the other. I do respect him for how hard he tries on a, on a possession by possession basis. Well, thank you, Your Honor. I really appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah, maybe I. I don't, I don't think the judge is supposed to present to present that much of an opinion. I would, this would probably cause no. a mistrial, wouldn't it? They're not supposed to give an opinion at all until the end. So this was a weird trial. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. We might have to revisit this later because I declared a mistrial right now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm well, fine. Uh, you had you had the defense agree with the prosecution. I mean, that's. Yeah. That's, first thing. That was his, no, his opening statement was, wow, you know what? I, okay. I actually agree <laughs> with you for pretty, the most part. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's more okay with for the most part, my defendant did commit this crime. Uh, however, <laughs> even for a guilty plea, I think that would be highly, you know, that something would be seriously wrong there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where we stand with Plumley. Uh, one one last thing to talk about before before Tommy uh, gives uh, goes into draft stuff. Uh, Wayne Ellington, uh, who for quite some time was, uh, was of course, very good for the Pistons, uh, was finally started uh, to be given defensive attention, uh, starting with the game against the Warriors. Teams have just been closely defending him. Also, he regressed, I have no doubt, from an, an obscene percentage that was more than 20% above his career average. Uh, he has now made uh, three three-pointers in his last five games. He shot 12% from three and 22% from the floor, uh, and has been absolutely terrible. It was it was inevitable he'd regress. It was inevitable that teams would give him more attention. Both have happened, and uh, now he's Wayne Ellington again, uh, the guy who was had on a minimum contract to be a locker room presence and somewhat of a floor spacer. 
uh, yeah, I know. Uh, who would you guys replace Ellington with in the starting lineup? I think I think Jackson is playing well off the bench. That may just be his ideal role. I don't know. Do you think that uh, that that Sadiq Bay is is fit to play at shooting guard? Yeah. So I would start Sadiq Bay. I think that he has probably the highest ceiling out of the guys that we have on the wing rotation. And with his three point shooting, I think his form is fairly compact and replicable. And if you run the plays that you were running for Ellington, you know, getting him open, getting him off these screens, I think we see, we're starting to see a little bit more of it. I hope Casey gives him more. And even though, like I said before earlier, uh, I don't expect him to start, I'd be fine with him starting. And I think that I would, I, I would not be surprised at all if by the end of the year uh, he's the starter just because he seems like he is capable of that. And if you get him, if you get a shooter like that, decent looks, I think he has a really good chance of converting most of them. Who would you go with? Uh, I'm not sure, really, to, to be honest. I, oh, let's put it this way. I think Josh Jackson is just going to be best in general coming off the bench in the long term. Uh, he's a guy who really likes to attempt offense on volume for better or worse. And I, I think if you can get him to take the right shots, then you've got a player who's probably going to be pretty able as a bench flamethrower. I, I think that's his ideal role. He's a willing passer, which is nice. He's a bad passer right now. It's not quite as nice, but it doesn't really matter at the moment. Hopefully he can improve on that. He's a much, much, much more willing passer than he used to be. Uh, what, you'd, and what you'd say about Bay right now, though, I mean, do you think uh, he's really, not to say that Ellington is a good option on defense or in general, but do uh, you think Bay is really well-suited to defend on the perimeter uh, You know, against, yeah. against guards? Yes, I know that he's maybe had some rough showings, but I still believe in his IQ and his potential there. Maybe it just it's just a matter of getting used to this new system, you know, better athletes. But Sadiq Bey is a locked-in defender. He's always moving his head. Uh, there was, like, a few possessions where he gets, you know, caught staring at the ball or something like that. But he just positions his body very well. He picks his angles. I, I believe in Sadiq Bey as a very good defender. I'm not worried about that right now. Yeah, I... Like I, I said uh, earlier, he did have to, he did have trouble against Tatum uh, in particular. I, I can't decide if the players against whom he's going to have more trouble on defense are those who are quicker or those who are just stronger. And I think it actually may be the latter. So uh, if he can manage to to stay in front, uh, you know, to use his smarts and his and his just his foot movement to stay in front of guards, then sure, yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe the wing maybe is ideal position. Uh, I, I don't think it's entirely possible to we'll find out that he's just not super suited to deal with guys who are physically overpowering and fast. Uh, we, we really hadn't saw much of that until, uh, uh, hadn't seen rather much of that until he, he faced off against Tatum last night. And again, you know, your rookie facing off against Jason Tatum is, is what it is. I mean, Tatum is, is even better than I thought he would be coming into the league. Uh, he's, he's just, he's just evolved into it. Just a fantastic player. And he and Brown are a scary combination. So, yeah, if you uh, think it's a strength yeah. thing, then I think the shooting guard is a good position for him. That might be his it, ideal fit. It could be, yeah. And that this this gives him, you know, if you, uh, I mean, obviously, if you, if you know, we're looking way ahead, but if you, it depends on who you draft. But, uh, it, you know, it, it could be a viable small forward. It, it's just, uh, I know earlier on in the season, I remember, uh, I, I think, uh, I recall you saying, um, you know, this is not to say, oh, you know, do you think you're wrong, though, but... Uh, I know you you initially thought that he would be better suited uh, to you know play up uh, from from small forward to power forward, but you think now he might be a better fit playing uh, playing down the lineup instead, or do you think maybe he'd just be a, a decent three position player? 
I think just keeping him on the perimeter, defending perimeter-oriented players. Uh, like you said, it's his. I think it's his foot speed is the biggest issue. He picks his angles well to kind of compensate for it. But, you know, kind of one of the main things capping his ceiling is the fact that he's just not the best at moving. You know, he's more of a smart defender paired with pretty good uh, I don't know, physical ability. So I guess it's something you would want to play around with. Uh, if he's a better defender at the two, that's fine. He's like 6'8", pretty well built. I th- I think that's closer to a small forward size, but if the two is his better better fit, that's more than fine with me. Yeah, it would give him the ability also to uh, it would mitigate some of his issues within the arc on the offensive end if you can play him at at shooting guard and have him face off against uh, you know a lot of guys who will be you know a few inches shorter. Uh, though I mean, size at the shooting guard has really exploded, of course, uh, over the past five years, but. I mean, like Rip Hamilton in his time as a 6'8 shooting guard. I mean, uh, there were very, very few guys at the position who were as tall as he was. Uh, Reggie Miller was one of them. Um, the Reggie Miller, I think, played, played – I might be wrong. I don't remember if he played a goodly amount of small forward or not. Whatever the case. Yeah, so, I mean, Bay at, at, uh, at shooting guard would be pretty oversized on offense. Uh, that would allow him against a lot of opposing shooting guards to actually uh, to, to actually try to physically bully them, and maybe that would mitigate his, his lack of ability to really attack off the dribble. That is something I think he – I know you would agree with this. He really needs to work on. Uh, he needs to find some way to use his smarts to actually remain on the drive rather than just kind of move in and then try to, you know, back somebody up. Uh, but uh, I would also like to, uh, you know, I, I think as as I said, under a different coach, I think he would have more opportunities. For example, to use his IQ to get behind the defense from off the ball. But yeah, as far as whom I would start right now. Uh, I don't know. It's a little bit of a difficult question. <laughs> I mean, Ellington, I don't want to see Ellington really playing many or any minutes at all if he doesn't have to. Uh, Svi has struggled. I think maybe, I mean, you just play, uh, you just start starting Svi at, at shooting guard. I mean, he did really well with the additional responsibility last season. Uh, he's going to get murdered on defense no matter what. Maybe you play up a straight value a little bit. The guy's not going to get you more than a couple second-round picks, tops even, performing how he was last season. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe you can get him back on track. Uh, if it's not, you know, I, I would give Bay a shot at it, because why not? I think that would be good. But if you're not going to do that, then, then yeah, I would I would hand it to Svi. Uh, or maybe to, to Servetus. I know that the Pistons have an agreement with the rest of the league that they're just going to, move them out slowly so they don't completely destroy competitive integrity right away. Um, you know, doing the solid. Uh, yeah, it, it's just like, you know, they, they want the games to at least be competitive. If you put Servetus <laughs> in, then it's like a 30, 40 point win every night. That's really bad for ratings across the league. Everybody else gives up. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, this is a, this is a completely neither here nor there, but I'm not entirely sure what is going to happen with David Servetus. I mean, he's a guy, sure, you, you effectively threw away the thirtieth, uh, you know, thirtieth pick for cash. You use some of that cash to buy Jordan Bone, who's you know already off the team. Whatever that is, what it is. Uh, you've got four second round picks. One of them is effectively worthless, but you basically use, I believe, three of those to move up and take Servetus, and uh, and now he is on a uh, a standard NBA contract, taking up a contract spot. Uh, I don't really know what his future is. There have been some allegations that he was selected uh, in sort of just uh, out of a means of uh, cronyism 
because he is the he is represented by the son of Arntelum, who is one of the one of the top executives in the organization. So it's like okay, well, assuming ten percent agent fees, and I don't know if that's a thing anymore. Uh, Arntelum's son is about ninety thousand dollars richer this season. Um, is Servetus <laughs> actually going to get to play, and what is his future with this organization? Yeah, that's a curious situation. It's a very curious situation, and and you left some potentially decent players on the board. I don't know if Casey Akpal is going to go anywhere, but uh, but who knows? And you know what you do in that situation? Uh, you don't have to have another NBA guaranteed NBA contract. In that case, you just if you think you have a, a player who can really be good, you eat it and you don't sign Tim Frazier. You know, sure, you don't you don't have a, a you know third uh, you don't have a third string point guard, but in that case. You know, you're planning on maybe giving Bruce Brown some reps anyway. Nobody's expecting that Reggie's going to be injured, but uh, you started basically. If you think that Bruce Brown can do something, then you're starting the season with four point guards on the roster. Uh, now, I've said this like you know, Kelton Johnson, who I do I, I put out as a possible pick for the Pistons, has actually been quite good for the Spurs. The Spurs are the Spurs, and the Spurs are excellent at developing talent. So who knows where that would go? But he was 29th. I would have hoped that they were that they were looking into trading off to potentially select him. If they had done this with him on the board, I would have been incandescent. That would have been completely absurd. And that's a situation where you look and say this is something is fishy. Uh, and and even though Kevin Porter Jr. apparently just self destructed, it's like you know whatever. Anyway, all right. So let's move on to the Suggs profile. Yeah. So I really liked. I mean, I, I I'll say this. One of the few things that you can look forward to during a rebuilding year is kind of watching the draft stock. And since this is a, I think it's this draft is five men, five people deep, uh, maybe six or seven, depending on how you feel about Keon Johnson or Zaire Williams. Uh, there are a lot of exciting talents in this in this draft, like potential all stars, guys who can create advantages. And I think one of those guys is Jalen Suggs. So I wanted to talk about these guys now, just briefly. We'll probably talk about them going into the draft and. That'll be a lot of fun, but just briefly talk about these guys because the tournament's coming up and then the G League Ignite season uh, has started with, along with the rest of the G League and the what they're calling the G League bubble, same way that they did it uh, for the NBA. Uh, it's in Disney, and that's just going to be something that I'll probably be watching uh, on the days when there's maybe not a game and I have some time to kill. So Jalen Suggs, uh, 6'4 PG point guard out of the undefeated and thoroughly stacked Gonzaga team. Uh, they have probably the best shooter in college basketball right now, uh, Corey Kispert. And then they have just a lot of big names. Uh, really fun team to watch. But he's the primary offensive initiator, and he's got a really physical play style that involves a lot of driving to create looks. And he's a capable three-level scorer with excellent finishing skills with both power and touch. Just a lot of a lot of skill there around the rim. He's got a nice floater and a decent three-ball. And I think we've mentioned in the past, like, it's really important for your point guard to be a three-level scorer just because that's the guy that you want. He needs to be a threat from just about everywhere so that his defender is always kind of closing in on him and he's always got that man close. That's how you create advantages. And I think the Pistons right now kind of lack that you know, future creator. I, I know that there are people who are higher on Killian A's. I would still prefer at this point, I think you should just kind of take him off ball or make him a secondary ball handler. I think Suggs could be... Uh, that primary guy and he still plays off the ball a little bit at Gonzaga so maybe that's a good fit Uh, right now when I watch him his three-point shot is still probably the biggest question mark it's not the most consistent it's got he's got pretty low volume there but he's trying to show that he has it 
Uh, watching him against BYU on Friday, he had one from what I call Steph range, and then he had one air ball. Uh, but overall on the night, he still shot 204. Uh, on the season, he's averaging 36%. It's going to be For him, it's going to be a matter of keeping the defense honest, keeping them on him, and uh, so that he can create those drives and uh, get the offense going. Just a really, really interesting talent. I like his fit with the Pistons, especially since they're kind of developing this identity of like hard work, attacking, and defense. I think he would fit in there really nicely. And uh, I think that one of the more interesting things, I mean, we could probably talk about this more more in depth, but I think he would have a really nice fit with Isaiah Stewart. His passing is excellent, and his center on the team right now, Drew Timmy, uh, they have a really nice two-man game where – Suggs is able to get him bullet passes and he's able to put them up in the basket with like all in one motion catch and then just spin it right up. Uh, Suggs is IQ. It's, it's just a lot of fun to watch. And I think that right now he's probably not the, uh, the best guy in the top five. I would probably have him right now in my Pistons big board, uh, probably a three, um, depending on where we land. I think he would just be a really, really good option, but uh, there's just a lot of guys that you want to watch coming up. Uh, in the next month, and I think there'll be a lot of fun to talk about when you know the draft comes along. So, Jalen Suggs, potential target for the Pistons. Uh, at this stage, whom would you select him over out of the top five guys? Uh, we're talking uh, Cunningham, uh, Kuminga, Suggs, Green, and Mobley. It's really close beyond Cunningham. I think Kuminga's shown a lot in his first couple G League games. Uh, so I would probably put him at number two right now. That's probably a little too reactionary. I think Suggs, the only thing with Suggs is that he doesn't show the most consistent three ball. But I would go Cunningham, Kaminga, Jalen Suggs, and then after that, uh, probably Evan Mobley and then Jalen Green. And Mobley being at four, I think that's more of a fit thing. I think he's a fantastic talent. But that'll all be something we can consider uh, going into the draft, and that'll be a lot of fun to talk about. It's crazy that March Madness is coming up. Hopefully it uh, it goes as planned this season. Uh, it was a big loss definitely to uh, to you know everybody in the draft analysis world. Uh, that's that's that March Madness did not happen last time. Uh, and for everybody in general, uh, sports fans in general and the players and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, big shame. Needless to say. All right, so that'll be a wrap for today's episode. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.